0: The candidates have been chosen, and election madness is officially underway. I'm Andrew Ryan.
1: I'm Natalie So. Now let's take a look at the stories on our radar this week.
2: President Tsai Ing-wen has announced former Premier William Lai will be her running mate in January's presidential election. China's first domestically-built aircraft carrier passed through the Taiwan Strait on Sunday. Beijing says the carrier was on a scientific mission. U.S. and Japanese ships trailed the carrier, and Taiwan's military monitored the ship's passage as well. Premier Su Zhengchang has taken leave because of health problems brought on by overwork. Doctors say Su's fatigue brought on a viral infection that has led to a temporary facial palsy. He's lightened his workload in order to get rest. For a few years now, the Michelin Guide has highlighted the best of Taipei-area cuisine. But the Guide's editors know that Taipei is just the start when it comes to good eating in Taiwan. Next year, the Guide will expand its coverage to the central city of Taichung. And under the radar this week is a Taiwanese invention that could make caring for senior citizens much less stressful. These are caretaker robots, able to monitor eating and exercise habits. With a technology called Ambient Intelligence, they can also detect emergencies and send for help immediately. No word on whether they play Mahjong.
1: Now for our top story, President Tsai Ing-wen announced her running mate this week. Let's take a look.
2: President Tsai Ing-wen and William Lai have a history of both cooperation and rivalry. Lai has served Tsai's administration as premier. More recently, he has also tried to derail Tsai's chances of re-election, mounting a primary challenge for their Democratic Progressive Party's nomination. Now the two are on the same team once more. On Sunday, Tsai announced that Lai will serve as her 2020 running mate. Tsai didn't shy away from their rivalry in the primary contest this summer. Indeed, she brought it up, saying that the purpose of competition is improvement. With the dust of that contest settled, though, Tsai said that now is the time for the party to rally together. Tsai praised Lai's past achievements and said that he has a strong sense of mission about Taiwan's future as well. She said she has given Lai the mission of helping their Democratic Progressive Party hold its majority in the legislature. Tsai also acknowledged Vice President Chen Jianren, who will be stepping down after the end of his current term. She thanked Chen for three years of competent service and for helping her administration weather difficulties and controversies.
0: There's only about 50 days to go before Taiwan heads to the polls. And while some people are using the term election madness to talk about the excitement, psychiatrists are warning about what they're calling election
2: syndrome. Has the state of politics got you sick? You're not alone. In Taiwan, a bruising campaign season is underway in the final weeks before the 2020 election, and it is literally making people here unwell. Mental health professionals say this is something that happens around election time here. They say that for some people, especially those most tuned into politics, all of this pressure takes a toll. The result is what they call election syndrome. The syndrome manifests itself in different ways. Some lose sleep, feel anxiety, or feel they can't eat. Patients may even become delusional. Dr. Yang Tongtai tells of one patient who came to believe they had magical powers that could guarantee victory for their preferred candidate. However, they also became convinced that they were being followed by someone from the opposing candidate's campaign. While the symptoms vary, the reach of election syndrome stretches evenly across party lines. Based on past experience, psychiatrists expect to see a 20% jump in the number of people of all political stripes seeking help in the month surrounding election day. They advise those feeling stressed out to limit media consumption. Dr. Yang also advises exercise and a healthy acceptance that in elections there are wins and there are losses. One of the most divisive
0: election issues in the United States and the UK is immigration. And it's not just those two countries, a wave of nationalism is spreading across the globe. But what about here in Taiwan? Actually, things are a little bit different and we're gonna give you some reasons for that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Taiwan's foreign-born population. That's coming up in today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to give you a quick overview of Taiwan's foreign-born population. And you might be surprised to learn that the average foreigner in Taiwan does not look like this.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, Andrew, we have 60 seconds on the clock. Ready?
0: All right. Go. Go. First of all, how many immigrants and foreigners and their descendants live in Taiwan? Right now, about 1.7 million people out of about 24 million people. Now, the largest group of foreigners in Taiwan is migrant workers. Right now, there's about 716,000 of them, largely from Thailand, the Philippines, Vietnam, and especially from Indonesia. Like these fishermen I met in Jilong, they do jobs that are deemed to be dangerous, dirty, and difficult, like construction, manufacturing, and taking care of the elderly. Now the migrant worker population is the most marginalized of all foreigners in Taiwan. The second largest group is the new immigrants. Right now there's about 550,000. The vast majority are women who came by marriage mostly from China, like these hairstylists I met in xinju And finally are the new Taiwanese children of immigrants. Uh, about 500,000 of them, mostly with a Chinese or Vietnamese parent. About 5% are like Sai the Li on the left whose mom is from Indonesia
1: nice job andrew
0: thanks natalie i do have one more sentence okay right now about eight percent of newborn babies in taiwan have one foreign parent or more
1: oh that's great all right so thank you andrew and that is our taiwan explained for the week
0: so as you can see in recent years there's been an increase in people coming from southeast asia to taiwan now, recently, I sat down with Dr. Michael Shao of the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation to find out whether or not there's been pushback against these immigrants.
3: Many countries in Europe, and there is an anti immigration populist mentality and uh, used, uh, mobilized by the populist leadership. But in Taiwan, thanks God, mm. we, we don't have that evident. -hmm. But still, the subtle discrimination or prejudice are there. But we do not have the collective Mm -hmm. effort to push out this one because we need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a part of, and also Taiwan society has been quite tolerant uh, to the outside population. When you think about Taiwan history, 6,000 years ago is the Austronesian Mm -hmm. tribes, and 400 years ago, the Han Chinese. Move from Guangdong and Fujian, right? Mm-hmm. And then later, the, the, and then the Qing dynasty had more people move in. And then the, the Japanese occupation. And in between, there is a Spanish, you know, Portuguese. And then after World War Two, and then we have an a, 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 a official migrant from military and a government official after the defeat of a, the Nationalist Party. Mm-hmm. So we got... From a, China. From yeah. China. And then... You know, foreigners, yeah. you know, Western, you know, everyone, and then the Southeast. So actually, it's really, we are used to mm-hmm. the, this kind of uh, ethnic diversity. Mm.
0: What do you think uh, Taiwan will look like 10 years from now in terms of the uh, population makeup? Do you think that the numbers of uh, Southeast Asian uh, immigrants will continue to rise in Taiwan?
3: It's hard to say. I think it really is a supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And workers probably will continue in a slower pace, mm-hmm. steady increase, but cannot be increased too much. Mm-hmm. There are two reasons. One is we upgrade the technology industries. So we might not need the blue-collar workers that much. they not desperately. Secondly, when the Southeast Asian country become richer, they don't want to send people here because mm-hmm. it's it's a hard job.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, uh, and uh, in, in recent years in Indonesia, there even has a called a economic uh, uh, nationalism. You mm-hmm. say, why should we always send our work, our people to c- foreign country to work? Why don't we create our own, mm-hmm. you know? So when the economic, it become better, the quality of life is better, uh, life condition better, and they were, uh, they were more reluctant to come aboard. abroad. So I would say in 10 years now, the w- workforce was slow down, uh, in- still increases in a slower pace. In terms of marriage, my uh, migrant probably mm-hmm. were slow.:
1: You want to check out the full interview with Dr. Shao. They talk about what Taiwan would look like without immigrants. We'll have the link for you below. Today's topic is election fever at the workplace. Now, Yes123 recently did a survey of people at the workplace to see how their work is being affected by elections. Mm-hmm. So my question for you guys is, what percentage of people's work performance has been affected by elections?
5: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay. We cover the elections, does that I
1: don't think that counts, no, they have, it's affected Mm. the the efficiency of their work.
0: Well, I think 100% of people in our (laughs) office. (laughs) That's a big chunk. Uh, Do you want to go first? I'm going to say 43%. 43%. Okay. Okay. When you go high, I go low. Uh, I'm going to say 18%.
1: Okay. So before we tell you the answer, let's take a look at how elections has been affecting some people's job prospects. Luo Jin made a Captain Taiwan shield as a show of support for his favorite presidential candidate. He's been an active fan, but he also said that he lost a job because his favorite candidate differs than that of the company management.
5: Two days before I was supposed to report for work, the Human Resources Department sent me a message saying, we cannot offer you a job because your beliefs are different than that of company management.
1: But this guy, Wu Hong makes a lot of extra cash during campaign time for his impersonation skills. Here he is impersonating Kuomintang chairman, the former vice president, Wu Dunyi. Wu said that one time he had 26 gigs and made over $800,000 in one month. The recent Yes123 survey found that 20% of employers admitted to probing into job candidates' political leanings during job interviews. But Yes123 spokesperson Yang Zhongbing said it is illegal for employers to discriminate against their employees due to partisan leanings. If they do, employers can be fined 30000 to $1.5 NT dollars. Many employers in Taiwan, however, are quite democratic and support employees' right to vote. 61% said they would give a day off to allow employees to return to their hometown to vote. Okay, so some people have lost work because of elections. Some people have gained work. Now, how many people have been distracted by elections? You said, what was it?
0: 18%.
1: 18% and 42%? 43%. 43%. (laughs) Okay, let's take a look at the answer. 32% 32%,
0: 32. Wow.
1: 32% about a third.
0: Meet yeah. you in the middle, <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> yeah
1: Okay, our next question is um, how many people have admitted, how many employers, and this is illegal actually, to discriminate because of a person's political preference, but how many people in the survey admitted um, that they treat their employees differently because of political bias?
4: Mm.
5: Admitted?
1: Admitted.
5: Wow, like admitted it's one thing to do it but it's another thing to admit it you know um, good call good call uh 20 percent 20
1: percent i'm gonna
5: let it ride 43 <laughs> percent you like <laughs> that let number
1: 40 something so let's take a look at the answer
0: that's okay 11 percent that's good that, i mean well it's not good it's but not it's good it's, it's
1: actually illegal so
0: 11
5: what happened to lord i mean
1: offered. he lost his job opportunity that was illegal Okay, one more question. So people have differences of opinion, you know, regarding politics. Really, now, do they? Yes. <laughs> now, how many,
0: <laughs>
1: how many people have argued with their colleagues or boss uh, over politics? Ooh. Okay. Percentage.
0: Well, a lot of people don't really talk about it at work. I think people are pretty on the DL about that. If this is
5: like a family thing that would be <laughs> this,
1: is, this is at work. How many people argued?
0: Uh, I'm gonna say wait, you go first. I'm letting it ride. Forty-three <laughs> percent. Forty-three. Um, I think it's pretty high. I'll say thirty-seven point two.
1: Okay, let's take a look at the answer.
0: Okay, twenty-nine percent. I like that. Butting heads. Pretty tame. <laughs> pretty
5: pretty tame.
1: Really? I gotta say. You thought it was
4: uh, more intense. Forty-three percent.
5: Well, I don't know. It's um, maybe it's just the realm in which we work, but I think. For being surrounded in that political atmosphere, I guess my mind is more saturated with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I assume that other people are saturated with that kind of thing.
0: Well that's the thing, right? Because like you said our, our our work has to do with the news. So we're talking about it every single day. Yeah. And we're well, not we don't gonna agree argue on it. about it. That's true. We that's don't different. argue about it. We
1: talk about it.
0: In fact I don't think we have argued at all. So it that's should be zero percent
1: <laughs> <laughs> at RTI. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. And that's it for today's Taiwan by number. Up next, Hashtag Taiwan.
1: Leslie Lau is going to tell us what's
6: trending in Taiwan.
5: All right, guys, I'm going to bring you a little bit of news in the form of a video.
6: At a campaign rally for his daughter Saturday, Premier Su Jianchang looked a bit odd. The left side of his face was distorted which is a symptom of temporary facial palsy. Neurologist Lian Liming says facial palsy is caused by a viral infection due to a lack of enough rest. Dr. Lian says patients with a temporary facial palsy often have their mouth tilted to one side due to weak facial muscles. Dr. Lian says if the central nervous system is under attack, it could be a stroke. A viral infection will affect the peripheral nervous system. Diabetics and those with a weak immune system who display these symptoms should see a doctor and get enough rest. Patients usually can recover in about a month.
5: All right, so Premier Su Zentang has taken a leave of absence due to health reasons. Doctors say he's working too hard, and I'm inclined to believe them. Why? Because his memes are so good, you guys. They're so good. His online presence is great. Su's meme game is excellent. A few weeks ago, Ameri- uh, the Taiwan became only the second country in the entire world to be able to export guavas to the United States. And he posted this picture where he's teaching the guavas how to speak English to get them ready to That's go to the cute. U.S.
0: That is so Isn't adorable. A I'm US? a guava from Taiwan.
5: That <laughs> is that. Funny. And this shows them a the little trip on the airplane. Anyway, <laughs> any internet savvy user knows that to get people's attention, you have to capitalize on holidays. And on May 4th, Premiere posted this picture may the government be with you that's a play on may the force be with you from the star wars series may fourth or may the fourth is international star wars day just so you know i don't know if you guys know what um what the term throw in shade means it means to criticize someone or call someone out in public in a subtle way
0: i'm not that old i know what throwing shade i'm just making sure i'm just covering (laughs) my bases just making
5: sure anyway watch how the premiere does it here on October 22nd of this year, Taiwan's stock market hit a record high when it closed at 11,271 points. Furthermore, the current administration had logged over 750 days with the stock market closing above 10,000. Now, in the bottom left of this picture, Su Tseng-hung is holding up a blue sign. A blue as in the KMT. KMT as in the opposition. The blue sign reads, between 2008 and 2016, there were zero days where the stock market closed above 10,000. Now you guys have been here longer than I have. 2008 and 2016, the KMT was in power, the blues were in power, mm. and that's just shots fired for me. All right? Absolutely shots fired.
0: Wow. Now, that uh, is in, some serious shade there, yeah.
5: In Taiwan, there's a very popular Japanese TV show called Kaso Taisho. Show. It's a talent show where um, contestants are giving points with numbered lights, much like this. Now watch how the premier touts his achievement of increasing hourly wages in Taiwan under him and his predecessors. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so let's review. He can capitalize on the holidays, he's hilarious, he throws shade, and he makes pop culture references like the man is a gigantic social media meme making machine and he doesn't stop with these memes if you go on his facebook they're all there and you tell me that he hasn't taken a
0: day off for that of course i'm gonna believe that
1: so he needs a vacation he does well, he deserves one
0: i must say i don't think he's making his own memes oh, that's he?
1: true he doesn't need to do it be there someone's doing this well i hope
0: that social media
1: manager is
0: getting some good time (laughs)
4: off
5: but you are
0: doing great great
1: all right well thanks leslie and that is our hashtag taiwan for today and uh, do follow us on social media and leave a comment below we would love to hear from you.
0: That's it for this week's Taiwan Insider. We hope you enjoyed this inside look at Taiwan. Be sure to follow us on social media.
1: And leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So.
0: I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Adrian Ryan. See you next week. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
1: Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Taiwan has been working to strengthen ties with countries in Southeast Asia. One of the ways that relations has changed is that Taiwan has been welcoming many more immigrants and migrant workers from that area. And they are changing the face of Taiwan society. Today we feature an interview between RTI host Andrew Ryan and Dr. Michael Xiao, the chairman of the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation, which serves to strengthen Taiwan's ties with Southeast Asia. Stay tuned to see how these new immigrants are impacting Taiwan.
0: What do you think uh, Taiwan will look like 10 years from now in terms of the uh, population makeup? Do you think that the numbers of uh, Southeast Asian uh, immigrants will continue to rise in Taiwan?
3: It's hard to say. I think it really is a supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And workers probably will continue in a slower pace, mm-hmm. steady increase, but cannot be increased too much. Mm-hmm. There are two reasons. One is we upgrade the technology industries. So we might not need the blue-collar workers that much. then not desperately. Secondly, when the Southeast Asian country become richer, they don't want to send people here because mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard job, mm-hmm.
4: you
3: know. Uh, and uh, in, in recent years in Indonesia, there even has a, called a economic uh, uh, nationalism. You mm-hmm. say, why should we always send our, work, our people to c- foreign countries to work? Why don't we create our own, mm-hmm. you know? So when the economic it become better, the quality of life is better, uh, life condition better, and they were, uh, they were more reluctant Come aboard. So I would say in 10 years now, the workforce was slowed down, still increased in a slower pace. In terms of marriage, uh, migrant probably mm-hmm. were slow.
0: Also was slowed slow,
3: down. Also slowed down. And uh, I forgot to mention that uh, what the landscape changed, the, the population changed because of, of their uh, participation in the Taiwan's family. We have 160,000. Spouses from Southeast Asia, right? And actually, they gave birth, Mm -hmm. and now we have about ninety thousand children who we call the new Taiwanese, the second generation, in the primary school and elementary school and middle school, and you would include the preschool. That probably easily goes to one hundred fifty.
0: I've seen a figure that says that for like first graders in elementary school in Taiwan, one in ten will have a parent from Southeast Asia. Yeah.
3: But that's, uh, that's it's not an exaggeration, yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah.
0: So that's really changing the, the face yeah. of Taiwan. Yeah,
3: and then your school you can see. And then uh, many data, there's some talk will say, okay, there they are children, with a learning disability because a mother cannot speak Mandarin, cannot speak Taiwanese, so they will provide obstacle for their learning. But it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a survey done by the, the Minister of Education and found out uh, they are equally smart, mm-hmm. equally smart. And they are actually better in creativity. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they are always uh, have the learning dis- difficulties, children, regardless if you are Taiwanese or... Or Southeast Asian descendant,
0: and also they're they're speaking more than one language as well, and so this is actually uh, for advantage. not only themselves but for their parents, for the mother. Uh, often this can be an advantage, or can be actually a great resource for Taiwan that's looking to build bridges with Southeast Asia.
3: Very true. You know, if you look at the some of the material we found, the reporting, at the very beginning when the children go to school, at the beginning they feel embarrassed mm. or humiliated for. Their mother, because the mother cannot speak Chinese, Mandarin, or Mm -hmm. Mandarin. But later, when they one or two years more later, they become very proud of their mother. Mm. You know why? Because their mother can speak Indonesia, the other kids of mother cannot speak. (laughs) 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 And uh, they are very proud. And plus, when these uh, spouses, these um, migrant, uh, marriage worker, migrant, become they are mostly in Xinbei Shi, and, mm-hmm. and then central so and south. It's a new Taipei
0: city, yeah. Yeah,
3: the biggest concentration. And they, they are very willing to take part in the community activities. Mm-hmm. So they become an integral part of a community, and they help the community, you know, for the community. So people respect them, mm. and so the kids feel very proud. So you can see the psychological uh, mindset changes, the children.
0: And a lot of these mothers are also doing a lot of very important jobs as well. Yeah. Um, in certain sectors of Taiwan's economy, for example, this is just a, one example, but the suncai or the pickled mustard greens. Uh. <laughs> if we didn't have predominantly women from Southeast Asia or even from China as well coming to Taiwan, this sector of the economy would maybe not exist anymore because a lot of the people that are doing this are older so they're, they're looking to pass on this to someone else, mm. and a lot of young people don't want you know, to do that work. I, I
3: did a study with my two colleagues. We work on the eateries, mm-hmm. the small the restaurant, restaurants, you yeah. know, run by uh, Vietnamese uh, spouses. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we interview them, we go there to talk to them in the north, central, and south. We found this, they can release their homesick mm. by, with food, food tasting. Release their homesick. Secondly, increase their economic independence. Yes. And thirdly, networking. Yes. Networking with their fellow sisters. Huh? They call each other sisters. Yes. Or with the neighborhood. So
0: that was very important. Well, it gives them a place where they can actually come together and where they can meet people. And the actual sign of the restaurant isn't just calling out to customers. It's also a signal to other people who speak Vietnamese that this is a place where I can meet people. Community yeah. center. So I'm curious to know how this changing population of Taiwan is is or is not changing Taiwan's identity and its place in Asia. Do you think that this has had an impact on the way Taiwan views itself?
3: Yes, I think so. I think of course in the nineteen eighties, Taiwan went through a process of a social Diversification, pluralization, and democratization, liberalization. And as an increase from not just being an ethnic Chinese, but also Taiwanese. So, Taiwanese identity has been established or being shaped before those migrants came. Mm-hmm. But with the migrants came, they become more and more. So, we are part of this uh, big ethnic diverse family. So, actually, reinforce reinforced Taiwanese become a part of Asia. Mm-hmm. See, we can talk to Asia, not just Chinese, mm-hmm. you know. And in the past, 1960s, 70s, Taiwan's identity very really much in Northeast Asia. We were more familiar with Japanese or Korean. Mm-hmm. Of course, Chinese too. But 1990s, Go South policy, and now the new Southbound policy, we are actually genuine, we are Asian. Mm-hmm. So the Asian identity has increased for
0: the common Taiwanese. So the average person would also consider themselves to be Asian or part of Asian, not yeah. just ethnic That's Chinese or just Taiwanese. That's right. Yeah.
3: I think so. I think this uh, Asian identity, uh, we haven't seen a actually data, but I think in Taiwan this Asian identity is uh, increasing. Mm. Yeah. Compare. If you compare with Japan, I would say Japanese data probably will show less that obvious, evident Asian identity.
0: It's a very strong Japanese identity. Yeah,
3: so. yeah. Or they would say, oh, yeah, we are global, you know, in a very abstract term. Yeah. But Asia
0: is more regional,
3: mm. more concrete, right? Yeah. You cannot jump to the global. Mm-hmm. I'm a global man. I'm a cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. And without thinking, I am actually more close is Asia. Mm. Yeah,
0: So a lot of times when, when countries diversify their interests in other countries, it's for economic considerations. Mm. And I think this is very true mm. for Taiwan as well. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the urge to not put all of your eggs in the China basket is, a, is right. a big one, especially in recent years, you know, with relations with China being a little bit colder than they were in the mm. past. Do you think that there are other reasons why Taiwan is hoping to diversify its interests in other countries that are not connected to the economy?
3: I think so. I think this. Uh, uh, you are very correct. That in 1994, when the go southbound policy started under President Li Teng-hui, there was an economic consideration, mm. economic strategic consideration, move from westbound mm-hmm. to southbound.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but later, by westbound you mean Europe, to China? Uh, oh, to just to China, westbound, China, okay. yeah, investment, close west, yeah, that's right, okay.
3: west and to south, and but they, they more and more not just profit, not just economic incentive, more and so social, cultural. You need to look at your labor if mm-hmm. economic consideration. We need labor coming, and we And we, we wanted to invest in Southeast Asia. That's economic. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I say that the the current thing for the uh, new southbound policy. Uh, as I see it, uh, 5M. One is to make profit.
0: Mm-hmm. Still
3: continue to make profit. Mutual benefit. Yep. Second, make jobs. We make jobs in Southeast Asia. We also make jobs here. As I mentioned, 720,000. We also make friends. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, That's our foundation is doing the, may, try to make as many
0: friends as possible. And that's important for Taiwan, which is not a part of the United Nations, to yeah. make connections with other countries in, in so different ways. So we do
3: NGO Think tank, cultural exchange, young leadership—you know—so and then uh, prevent the uh, disaster, prevent prevention, and so and so forth. And we also make families. That's Mm -hmm. very unique. Even though Japan also have uh, quite a number of uh, migrant uh, spouses, Mm -hmm. but they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And Korea too. Korea also, and they talk about it too, but not to our. We have a policy how to help them. And the last one is make values. Mm. You know, we, we, we share friendship. We share we in respect individual freedom. And we want to enhance democracy and so on and forth. So, so actually expand it. Mm. We, we call it a comprehensive. So compared to, in the past, economic link, now we call comprehensive link. And mm. people-centered, very much, not just money-centered.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk, uh, finally, at the end of our our interview today, a little bit about some of the people-centric successes that you have seen at the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation over the the short year that uh, you've been around. uh, What kinds of successes have you seen, um, from your perspective, that you think are really worth celebrating?
3: We, with many people's help, domestically or, or, or internationally, uh, I think we make Taiwan be more uh, friendly, accepted. Mm-hmm. Not, and, and then they will think about Taiwan for Taiwan's own sake, mm-hmm. for Taiwan's own merit, rather than in the narrow framework of a Taiwan-China relationship. Mm-hmm. Taiwan should be liked, should be received, should be welcomed for Taiwan's sake. Mm-hmm. So that's why the, our foundation... Doing the think tank cooperation, young leaders exchange we deal with a lot of young people we, we 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 emphasize young people's exchange and then NGOs mm-hmm. and culture artists mm-hmm. so we reach to all aspect mm-hmm. walk of life
0: assassin. what's been the highlight for you for for since the foundation was founded last year
3: I think we really truly an Asian country when we uh, receive many people from southeast Asia. Uh, we feel that we are in, belong to the bigger family, immediate families. And mm-hmm. then the highlight, I think we really make Taiwan being taken seriously mm-hmm. and friendly. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Uh, and thank best you. wishes for the future uh, developments for the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation.
3: Glad to be here and thank you very much.
1: That is RTI host Andrew Ryan speaking with Dr. Michael Shao, the chairman of the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie Hsiao.
2: Are you listening? (laughs) This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan.
0: Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of
4: sounds. What do you know about Taiwan?
0: Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's Time Traveler is
2: John Van Trieste
0: and the destination
2: Taipei, 1899. (laughs) Hidden away in plain sight is a piece of Versailles in Taipei. Through most of the year, it's kept guarded behind stone walls, visible over the top to passers by, but otherwise drawing little attention to itself. Once a month, though, this grand palace opens its doors to the public, letting people in to explore its luxurious interiors and fine garden. This is the Taipei Guest House, home these days to foreign dignitaries on their visits to Taipei. But as the rich woodwork and gold leaf inside seem to hint, It was originally built with an even greater vision in mind, to be a place worthy of hosting aristocrats and royalty. Once upon a time, it did just that. Today, on this latest open house day, we commoners will get to go inside and take a trip back in time. Work on the guesthouse began in 1899, at the cusp of a new century and at the beginning of a new period in Taiwan's history. It had been only a few years since Taiwan became an overseas possession of Japan, a modernized power on the move with colonial aspirations. The building was put up on the orders of Kodama Gentaro, the fourth Japanese governor-general of Taiwan. It was to serve as his mansion and the mansion of all those governors to come after him. The place is an odd but beautiful fusion. Japan had embarked on an aggressive campaign of westernization only a short time before. And here you can see the western styles it introduced to its Taiwanese colony. The first floor is marked by stone arches and the second floor by a colonnaded veranda. The whole thing is topped with a stone slabbed roof punctuated with shuttered garrets. But this was a Japanese colony, and to spell that out clearly, a Japanese-style compound was also built to one side. The front garden with its water fountain may be French in inspiration, but the back garden, where black swans swim past stone lanterns, is purely Japanese. The inside is a lavish world of stained glass, Persian carpets, and classical columns. There are fireplaces here, something you definitely don't see every day in Taiwan. Everything here seems to be ornamental. Even the light fixtures on the walls are shaped like burning torches. Important people began arriving here almost as soon as the workmen put away their tools in 1901. One early guest, Japanese princess Kitashirakawa Tomiko, was of great symbolic importance. When Taiwan had been taken as a colony, it hadn't gone quietly. The princess's husband had died of disease during the military campaign to take the island. Now her husband had been turned into a Shinto god for his role in the campaign, and she arrived herself in Taiwan to attend the dedication of one of his shrines. During the 50 years of Japanese colonization, a number of other nobles would follow her example, making the governor's mansion their home during their visits to Taiwan. But it soon became clear that this kind of space wasn't suitable for the whole retinue this kind of visit required. In any case, there was also termite damage to deal with. So the building was renovated, with a facelift completed in
6: 1913.
2: There was more space now, and there were Baroque flourishes on everything, giving it that real Versailles look. Not everything in the newly redone building was what it seemed. This short video tells us that the columns we see outdoors aren't quite as classical as they look. There's no marble here. These are actually built with a metal core in the middle, wrapped up in bricks and disguised with an outer layer of stone. It didn't seem to matter though. As you walk around in here, you get the sense that what was really important was that the place appeared impressive. And there are clues here that the colonized Taiwanese were meant to be impressed as much as the VIPs. Taiwanese people were brought in for special events here. At one event, local religious leaders were invited. And a black and white photo on a wall here shows another event where indigenous Taiwanese people were gathered out on the lawn in their traditional clothing. Even some of the decor seems to be sending a message. Following a tour guide into the main guest room, you'll see an odd-looking ornament hanging above the doorway. It looks to be made of plaster. The tour guide says that this is the head of a Formosan Sika deer, the skins of which were once an expensive Taiwanese export. The tour guide said that this is a symbol of Taiwan. But mounted here above the door, it looks an awful lot like a hunting trophy. In 1923, the governor's mansion got its first taste of real royalty. The Crown Prince Hirohito came to Taiwan by ship to inspect his future dominion. Here at the mansion, he was housed in luxury. He received important visitors and ascended a metal spiral staircase to greet an outdoor procession of his subjects. Another royal visited in 1935. This was Yi Eun, the last crown prince of Korea. Like Taiwan, his country had also been colonized by Japan. His royal status, which he kept, may not have given him much power in practice, but his stay here at the mansion added another layer of royal mystique to the place. The days of royal and noble visits were numbered, though. The Pacific War brought Japan's overseas empire to an end in 1945. The same emperor who'd been at the center of attention when he visited Taiwan in 1923 now announced the Japanese surrender. It was decided that Taiwan would now go to the Republic of China, and the treaty confirming this was signed in 1952 right here in the mansion. Without a colonial governor to call it home, the mansion would now begin a transition to becoming the Taipei Guest House. Taiwan's new Republic of China government could barely have hoped for a better place to entertain important visitors. What it might not have expected was that some of the first visitors here would not be dignitaries, but military men. As World War II turned into the Cold War, Taiwan's position became critical. The Republic of China government had lost control of mainland China and war had broken out in nearby Korea. For a time during these years, U.S. military officials held meetings and events here. Over the years, important civilian guests came here too for presidential inauguration parties and political functions. Once in a while, there were even evenings with the stars. In 1956, actress Li Hua held a party here, where she announced that she would be going to Hollywood. The Golden Horse Awards, Taiwan's answer to the Oscars, decided to hold its party here in 1980. The most important visitors, though, have been the presidents, prime ministers, and government officials who were guests here over the years. Richard Nixon was a guest here during his vice presidency in 1953. Singapore's founding father, Lee Kuan Yew, also came here during a visit in 1981. Hundreds of visits like these have taken place over the years, stretching from Taiwan's period under one-party rule through its transition to democracy. Today, it's the guesthouse itself the government hopes to democratize. It was granted its rightful place among Taiwan's historic sites in 1998. Until 2006 though, all of this history was hidden from public view behind the stone walls. For the first time in 2006, the guest house's doors were opened to the sort of people who don't usually get invited to state dinners. These open house events draw in a good crowd. They get people engaged with a century of Taiwanese history, and amid the elegant furnishings, let them discover the people and events that have filled this place with stories. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
0: One of the most divisive election issues in the United States and the UK is immigration. And it's not just those two countries, a wave of nationalism is spreading across the globe. But what about here in Taiwan? Actually things are a little bit different and we're going to give you some reasons for that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Taiwan's foreign-born population. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to give you a quick overview of Taiwan's foreign-born population. And you might be surprised to learn that the average foreigner in Taiwan does not look like this.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, Andrew, we have 60 seconds on the clock. You ready? All right. Go.
0: First of all, how many immigrants and foreigners and their descendants live in Taiwan? right now about 1.7 million people out of about 24 million people now the largest group of foreigners in taiwan is migrant workers right now there's about 716,000 of them largely from thailand the philippines vietnam and especially from indonesia like these fishermen i met in Geelong they do jobs that are deemed to be dangerous dirty and difficult like construction manufacturing and taking care of the elderly now the migrant worker population is the most marginalized of all foreigners in taiwan the second largest group is the new immigrants. Right now, there's about 550,000. The vast majority are women who came by marriage, mostly from China, like these hairstylists I met in Xinjiang. And finally, are the new Taiwanese children of immigrants. Uh, about 500,000 of them, mostly with a Chinese or Vietnamese parent. About 5% are like Cai Xin, the Li on the left, whose mom is from Indonesia.
1: Nice job, Andrew.
0: Thanks, Natalie. I do have one more sentence. Okay. Right now, about 8% of newborn babies in Taiwan have one foreign parent or more.
1: Oh, that's great. All right, so thank you, Andrew. And that is our Taiwan Explained.